Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Today, we're going to talk about Morningstar's Active Passive Barometer Report. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situations, or needs. Okay, today we are going to talk about that report. But what about tonight, Shani? Tonight, you are having a dinner. I am. You're hosting a wine journey. I am. Are you excited? I'm really excited. Yeah. It's two o'clock. It starts at six o'clock. I have to do a lot of cooking. Yeah. And I have to buy half the wine. Well, all I need to do between two and six o'clock today is call in sick for tomorrow. So, (laughs) okay, you're not just going to tell me at the dinner party. Like the the one thing we talked about bowling last time we did this. The thing that I'd not mention is we go bowling. I get back to my apartment around eleven o'clock, and Shawnee's calling, and so I pick up my phone, and she says to me, "I'm not coming to work tomorrow. I'm sick. I'm sick." But you eventually came. So I that did. Is, so that's good. I was here bright and early, ready no, to go. No, you worked from home that day, so <laughs> you at least were online. But. I was. Okay. So as Shawnee said, we've talked about this report, this active passive barometer report, a couple times before, and we spoke about it in our episode on funds and ETFs. And we talked about which parts of your portfolio might suit an active strategy and which might suit a passive strategy. So for this episode, we'll go through some of the things in this report. And I do think it's worth mentioning that this paper isn't purely academic. You can use its findings when you're selecting investments. So we'll go through some examples of where you can use those findings. And we'll go through your examples, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So about this report, it's published every six months and spans nearly 4,400 unique funds that account for approximately $15.9 trillion in assets. So that's a lot. That's more than in my account. Yeah. I don't know about yours. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a little bit more. Yeah, I think you'd call in sick for more than one day if yeah. you had $15.9 <laughs> trillion. But anyway, the purpose of this research is to give investors a useful measuring stick that helps them calibrate the odds of succeeding with active funds in different categories. Yeah, and this report is measuring the performance of U.S. active funds against passive peers in their respective Morningstar categories. Uh, And although this report focuses on funds, the same concept applies to any collective investment vehicle with a professional manager. So in other words, ETFs as well. When deciding on an investment, there are two decisions that you need to make. The first is a vehicle, so direct equities, funds, ETFs. And then if you're going into funds or ETFs, then the strategy, so active or passive. We won't go into the trade-offs in this decision-making process for this episode, but you can go and take a listen to our podcast on selecting investments to reach your goals. Yeah. So Shani mentioned this is a US study and there could be some people thinking this probably is not relevant to us in Australia or Madagascar <laughs> or Laos, which is coming in coming in really, really strong. Yeah. I think we have a fan base in the Netherlands too now. So. Oh, well, that's we've, good. We're top in the charts there. Exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Going global. Um, yeah. But anyway, at a high level, US and Australian fund managers largely face the same challenges and they operate in very similar ways. And apart from local markets, both US and Australian fund managers have the same coverage universe for other sectors and markets. So even if we look at US fund managers investing in US markets, Markets and Aussie fund managers investing in Aussie markets. Again, they're investing in markets with similar characteristics. So they're both well researched and covered. And 
potentially that means there's little chance to find undiscovered opportunities. And to be fair, the U.S. market is much larger. So we can take some learnings um, from this report and figure out where active managers can add value. The latest Active Passive Barometer report was published in March 2021. So as you can imagine, the results capture managers working in a market filled with more uncertainty than usual, with heightened sensitivity and volatility. The COVID-19 sell-off we saw in March and then the rebound we saw tested a pretty familiar narrative that active managers rely on, that they're generally better able to navigate market volatility than their passive counterparts. So this report comes to the same conclusion as the one before it that came out mid-year in 2020, and that is that performance of active funds deferred very little to passive counterparts, showing that there's little merit to the notion that active managers can navigate volatility better than the overall market. In 2020, 49% of the 3,500 funds that were included in this research outperformed their passive counterpart. And this does not mean that you should pull all of your money out of active funds or dismiss them when putting together an investment strategy. Although on average, passive beat active, there are quite a few categories that active really proved their value. So let's go through those. Yeah. So there's international funds. The majority, 61% of active foreign stock funds outperform their average passive peer. Then we have 73% of active real estate funds beating their average passive peer during 2020. And we've seen a trend of active mid and small cap funds succeeding more often than active large cap managers. Yeah. And there's a reason for this. So all these sectors have something in common, and that is that they're not as well researched or as well covered as the sectors where passive tended to do better. So ultimately, there's a correlation between how efficient a market is and the success of active managers. So the degree of efficiency, it relates to how much the prices in that market reflect the underlying valuation. And markets tend to be more efficient when there's widespread investor interest and coverage of that market. That's why active managers have tended to be better in broader markets with the large opportunity base like international markets, markets without as much interest or coverage like mid to small caps, or markets that aren't as liquid like real estate. Yeah. And what the report has also found is that one of the biggest determinants of performance is cost. And we've definitely spoken about this over and over and over again. But what our team has done is sliced our coverage universe into fee quintiles to highlight how much of a difference fees make. So in the report, it looks into the 10-year success rate of funds. So how many active funds beat passive counterparts over a 10-year period? In every single category, the lowest cost quintile beat the highest cost quintile when looking at average success. So more expensive fees do not equate to better quality or more skill. In terms of what's considered cheap and expensive, that's dependent. It's dependent on the style of the fund and the assets it invests in. So for example, and remember this is for US funds, the cheapest 10% of funds in the study for US large value had an average of 0.38%, and for US small value, it was 0.77%. The most expensive 10% was 1.81% and 2.03% respectively. Yeah, which is a crazy fee, Yeah. <laughs> right? 2%? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like this also. It makes me feel good about my salary. That sometimes when you don't pay a lot for something, it's still high quality. That's why I like <laughs> exactly. to think about myself. Jamie, if you're listening. Um, Jamie's, of course, my boss. Mm-hmm. All right. So although this is a report that's published half yearly, this trend doesn't change from report to report. We're almost always seeing that higher fees do not equate to proportionally better performance. And this is one of the central tenets of passive investing. Okay. So now it's my turn to quote an old man. John Vogel, the founder of the Vanguard Group, stressed this point in his book, The Little book of common sense investing, which is basically the Bible for passive investors. In it, he says, experience conclusively shows that index fund buyers are likely to obtain results 
exceeding those of the typical fund manager, whose large advisory fees and substantial portfolio turnover tend to reduce investment yields. Many people will find the guarantee of playing the stock market game at par every round a very attractive one. The index fund is a sensible, serviceable method for obtaining the market's rate of return with absolutely no effort and minimal expense. So that's your old man quote. Yeah. You know, he's not actually alive anymore. No, he's not. But he was an old man. Well, yeah, hopefully most people, that's what they want, right? They want to die when they're old, but okay. Well, good old man quote. That's a very long quote, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what our research shows is that, of course, John Bogle is not wrong, but he's not entirely right either. Fees should not be the sole determinant of which investments you put into your portfolio. But if active managers have shown that they do not have a high success rate within certain sectors, it may make sense to go and invest in passive investments. So what do we do with this information and how does it feed into how you structure your portfolio? We thought the best way to walk through this is an example of a portfolio where we're picking investments to fit into asset classes. So we'll brush past the first few steps of constructing a portfolio, but if you'd like this in more detail, you can listen to our episode on portfolio construction. So say that I'm looking at a retirement goal and I need a 5% return over 30 years to get there. The best portfolio for my asset allocation would be the Morningstar Aggressive model, which suits investors with a minimum nine-year time time frame, and it has 90% exposure to growth assets. It looks to achieve CPI plus 4%. Yeah, and this model is split across eight different asset classes. So the largest holding is 45% in international equity, and 50% of this is hedged. International equity, as we said, is one sector that active managers tend to be able to perform better than their passive peers. In saying this, though, if you wanted large cap US equity exposure or large cap UK equity exposure, this is where you might benefit from a passive strategy. It really does come down to whether the underlying market is efficient and those developed markets that are well researched, like the UK and US large cap space, is where managers are finding it quite hard to outperform their passive counterparts. So I've employed a mix in my portfolio. I have a pretty aggressive asset allocation for my retirement goals because I have 35 to 40 years to get there. And I have invested in active international funds. So I've invested in two gold medalist funds, two um, price, Global Equity and Magellan Global. I also wanted some long-term large cap exposure. So I've got some investments in the S&P 500. I'm in the iShares Asia 50 ETF and the iShares Europe ETF, which are all passive and are all large cap. She said 35 to 40 years. Yeah. Do you remember when we started this? It was 35 years. Then you moved it to 38 years. <laughs> Maybe I'm just really enjoying my job, Mark. Well, I would be very surprised to hear that given everything else you say about it. But uh, yeah, that's good. 40 more years. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you'll be coming to work after I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> that's not too long from now. So <laughs> See, now you said it. All right. Well, so Shani, we got a little glimpse in your portfolio. So yeah. the passive funds are pretty self-explanatory, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So was there a reason you decided to pick those two active funds? Yeah, there is. So um, the first is that I have a lot more belief in those fund managers than I do myself for picking equities, especially in expansive markets such as international equities. So they spend their whole day researching and selecting investments in markets that are too vast for me to even touch the tip of. And I spend my whole day pretending to work. So I think that um, they have a bit of an edge on me. I also don't derive any joy from stock picking like a lot of investors do, I tend to worry a lot and I have recognized that I have pretty poor behavior when I hold direct holdings. So I decided funds were the right um, one for me from the get-go. And so that out of the way, the reason I chose these individual funds were for a few reasons. And I think it's worth noting that I didn't work at Morningstar when I chose these two funds. So it wasn't to do with the gold medalist ratings, but my thinking was along the same lines. 
So for T-Row, I found the price was quite reasonable for the strategy. So it's a mid to large cap growth fund that invests outside of Australia and has flexibility in the fund mandate to invest in emerging and frontier markets. And, and we'll get to Aussie exposure, but I already had that covered in my portfolio. So I wanted to ensure that it wasn't a fund that said international equity, but ended up having half of the fund in Aussie equities. It had strong performance, net of fees across the board when I invested, and that's still the case now with three five and 10 year returns in excess. And for Magellan, I'm going to be completely honest. I really just had a belief in Hamish, which has paid off. Um, and that's probably not a good enough reason to invest in a fund, but um, cut me some slack. It was my second ever investment. So. <laughs> yeah. And I was there when you first started following him around our investment conference. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost, that was almost your last day at Morningstar. It was. Um, so let's take a look at other asset classes. The aggressive model portfolio has a 30% allocation to Aussie equity, and Aussie equity is a broad umbrella that arches over small, mid, and large cap stocks, value and growth, different sectors, different industries. There's a lot there. And I know, Mark, you get exposure to Aussie markets from choosing individual stocks. I, I do, and most of them seem to have gone through some sort of transaction and bought by somebody, which is interesting. Good. A good thing. Okay. Yeah. So we'll take that. Okay. But uh, that can be a whole nother episode. Yeah why I'm running out of shares to buy. Mm -hmm. um, but I also have part of my allocation to Aussie equity in ETFs. And there are obvious subclasses within these asset classes. So as you mentioned, Shani, and this is where it's important to understand your time horizon, the risk reward that's associated with each of these subclasses. Okay. So why don't we go through Aussie equities and what kind of exposure suits what kind of strategy? Yeah. So with large caps, we discussed that these markets are widely researched. And because of this, it's extremely hard for active managers to find undiscovered or undervalued opportunities. And as a result, I've invested in the Spider S&P ASX 200 ETF, which provides me that cheap access to domestic equities. So the main attraction with this fund is its low cost. So there's a 0.13% per annum management fee. And Mark, because I'm a risk taker, I have invested in large caps, but I also have an exposure to mid and small caps. A risk taker, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. An anxious risk taker. Uh, yeah. I do get anxiety. I still take the risks though. Uh, no, I know. Yeah. Then, you, then you watch your train videos. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. So Shawnee is in fact the opposite of a risk taker. Um, so she gets mad at me if I stand up and move a meter away from my computer and I haven't locked it. So this is my favorite thing. I go to get a drink of water from the kitchen <laughs> yeah. and she tells me this is a compliance violation and it's, uh, it's all very exciting. I have to stand by his computer and guard it. Yeah, you, he goes I think you, you stand by and you go through my emails. The only reason I need to lock my computer is because of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like some managers would appreciate employees who follow the rules, but I guess we're speaking about the manager. Mark, one day, he held all of his meetings at the pub. Yeah, and that was a great day. Everyone really enjoyed that. <laughs> he messaged everyone individually on the team to come and meet him for their meetings at the Sussex, which is the pub across the road. But the Sussex Mark. is closed for renovations. And so now I have to have meetings in meeting rooms. It's very disappointing, isn't it, Mark? It is very disappointing. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our topics across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. 
and take advantage of ShareSite's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So back to small caps. Um, I obviously have a much longer time horizon than the nine years suggested for this asset allocation. So I feel like I can take a little bit more risk in my Aussie equity portion. And I chose to do this with funds for the same reason as my international equity exposure. Yeah. And as noted in the research, active managers tend to have much more luck with small and mid-cap stocks because the underlying market is not as efficient as large-cap stocks, meaning there's more of a chance that stocks are mispriced or their value is misunderstood. Yeah, exactly right. So I am invested in the fund, a few funds that have a blend of small, medium, and large-cap. So I've chosen funds that have a mandate to invest across capitalizations. And it can vary, though. It's pretty much largely dependent on the views of market conditions by the manager. Okay, so let's move on to the next asset class, which is listed property. So Aussie listed property sits at 4% and international listed property sits at 6%. Those are the suggested allocations. So the active passive barometer report concludes that property is one of those markets that are inefficient. So again, suggests that active managers might have an edge here um, and can provide value for investors. Then, of course, there's fixed interest. Yeah, we didn't um, speak too much about fixed interest when we were going through the results. Um, So the first half of 2020 was pretty hard on active bond funds with 40% of corporate high yield and intermediate core bond funds outperforming their average passive counterparts. Um, We saw that the COVID rebound increased their success rate to 53.5%, nearly 14% higher than the first six months of 2020. Yeah, so what we're seeing here is that a lot of bond funds were caught offside in early 2020, as well as a lot of people, including myself. (laughs) Um, So that was a period that punished credit risk and rewarded interest rate risk. So as credit credit spreads widened and rates fell, that was the situation when COVID started. We were worried about companies going out of business. And then, of course, we had plunging interest rates. So we saw a shift when we had that COVID rebound that we all know from the equity market in the second half, and managers found it a little easier to outperform the broader market. Yeah. So we're seeing a little bit of a mixed bag with fixed interest at the moment. Generally, what we find is that active funds do tend to have a higher success rate than passive when we're navigating in that high yield or junk bond territory. We don't find that this edge is as strong in corporate bonds or core bonds categories. So that might be where you'd opt for passive. Okay. So finally, our last category is cash. And I'm not exactly giving groundbreaking guidance here, but you probably shouldn't be paying very high fees on cash at this moment. <laughs> yeah, I've been gearing cash all this time, Mark. So. <laughs> well, yeah. well, there you go. You heard it here first. Um, yeah, so the le- last allocation is 3% to cash, and we don't include cash funds in this research. Yeah, ultimately, this research is one that should provide you some guidance on where active and passive can fit into your portfolio. Yeah, and overall, there's opportunity for both to prove valuable in most asset classes. One thing that we will stress, though, is as investors, we must be mindful of fees. As much as the study provides guidance on where active managers might be able to prove their worth, it really shows that if the hurdle is too high, that the impact on performance negates stellar picks within the funds. Okay, so I think we're going to stop it here because at least I have a busy afternoon. Cooking. Cooking, and I have to find wine. What's on the menu? 
Uh, so we got three different mains okay. going. We'll start with some cheese, okay. um, just some cheese and charcuterie. Mm-hmm. Then we're doing three different mains. So I've got a poached chicken with a crispy chicken skin. Love that. And I've reduced the poaching liquid. And I'm going to do that as a little bit of a pan sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, then I have a spice rub pork, which I'm going to slice really thin. And I pickled some peppers. So we'll have pickled peppers on that. And then I've got a chipotle sauce that we're going to put on the side. And I know you're going to like that one. I made extra sauce for you. (laughs) And then, yeah, I'm doing like a grilled shrimp avocado kind of salad type of thing. I think you're going to have to deal with the outro because I'm salivating. Okay. Well, that is good. (laughs) That is good. And Shawnee says she's going to bring a cake. I am. I'm not going to make it. Okay. Well, so I said bring. I didn't say make. (laughs) And I got a couple magnums of champagne to kick off the wine journey. Mm -hmm. And Is one just for me? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I got you a straw. So anyway, thank you guys very much for joining. We would love any comments that you have. So please send through any comments to the email address that is in the show notes, or please put a comment and a rating on your podcast app. So thank you for joining. And hopefully Shawnee will show up at work tomorrow. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.